Welcome to CMS On Air, the podcast on migration and refugee issues, brought to you by the Center for Migration Studies of New York. I'm Rachel Reyes, CMS's Director of Communications. The Khmer Rouge, led by Marxist leader Pol Pot, came to power in Cambodia in 1975. For four years, the regime emptied cities and forced virtually all of Cambodia's population into labor camps, where people were starved, overworked, tortured, and executed. It is estimated that nearly 2 million people died. In this two-part series, Rachel Reyes speaks with author, chef, and manufacturer of Cambodian foods, Chani Chi Laux. In her memoir, Short Hair Detention, Chani chronicles the suffering her and her family endured under the Khmer Rouge. Only 13 years old when the communists took over, Chani was torn away from her family and forced to work in remote labor camps. She and her family were eventually resettled in Lincoln, Nebraska. Despite not knowing a word of English when she arrived to the United States at the age of 17, Chani quickly flourished, graduating high school, obtaining undergraduate degrees from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and earning a Master of Science in Applied Mathematics from Santa Clara University. She worked in Silicon Valley as an engineer in the aerospace and biotech industries for 30 years before starting her own business, Anchor Cambodian Food, and publishing her memoir. In this second episode of a two-part series, Rachel Reyes and Chani Chi Laux discuss Chani's experiences being resettled in Nebraska and adjusting to life in a new place and new culture. Now here's her interview with Chani Chi Laux. You were 17 years old when you arrived in Nebraska on June 20, 1979, and that's where your brothers had been earlier resettled. What was it like for you to establish a new life in the United States? Well, back then, all I hear about was United States. And all I know was Nebraska is so cold in the winter days, ice falling from the sky instead of rain. And I thought, ice in Cambodian, we don't have differentiation between ice and snow. And to me, ice in Cambodian, they come in a chunk, a block really big and heavy, right? And people said, in the ice season, people can die. And I was just imagining, you know, like a bomb dropping from the sky. <laughs> That's one thing. But the other thing was, even before I got to Lincoln, Nebraska, being 17 years old, you already think about what it's going to be like. And I had this fear, even though we came here legally with a lot of support. I came here with the support of UNICEF and Lutheran Church. It's still fear because it may be official and legal, but you don't know if the people in the community welcome you. And you don't know if you are going to cause problem to them because they may have to support, they may have to adjust to you as much as you adjust to their culture. When I came, my brother, one of my brother was working at a supermarket and my second brother, he was a student at the University of Nebraska. When we got there, we really wanted to because everything was so different. We have no clue of what it's like. To be honest, even the smell of the environment that you're in completely different than where we came from. The clothing's different. Everything's just different. I remember there was two family help us a lot, Mrs. Hammer and Mrs. Howe. And the two ladies keep coming. I wonder why that lady keep coming. It turned out there was two of them. <laughs> to me, they look the same. <laughs> And when we were here, we have a lot of friends who came here about the same time, and they were in, uh, most of them was in Long Beach, California. 
And that was phone call between my mom and the family in Long Beach, California. Come over. This is more warmer. This is more, some, not so much adjustment. The food, you can still find similar food there. And we were going to go for sure. But my brother, they've been, they've been there two years before, no, three years before we land. They was trying to get us to stay in Nebraska. And they said, when you finish high school, you can um, go to college in different state. When I finished high school, we came to, uh, we went to visit Long Beach, California. And I realized that I really want to stay in Nebraska. And I thought it's a good thing, even though um, things were so different. But it's, it's all a matter of the community that welcome you, not where you choose to be. So to me, it, you know, the experience from Nebraska had helped me a lot. And many times I think that a refugee and immigrant, it would help them to appreciate, embrace the new culture, a new environment that they're in. Now, that doesn't mean that you just go everywhere and search and choose, but identify if people are not nice to you, don't stay close to them. That's my experience about staying in Nebraska and um, being among supportive family and community. Can you describe how the community welcomed you and your family? When we came, there weren't many social programs, but it was a family member within the church that helped us. Mrs. Hammer, Mrs. Howe, their family come over. And it's a dedication of that individual family help a lot more than, I think, more than somebody doing eight hours a day, right? We need both. We need people who are doing eight hours a day coming to help you, and we also need a family who dedicated uh, their time beside, you know, taking care of their family, but also now taking care of you to make sure that you assimilate and adapting to the no- new culture. The things that they helped me was give from the church, taking my mom shopping, because we didn't have a car. My teacher spending after hours, after school, to help me with my English, taking me to trick-or-treat. I was like, what are we doing? And what do we get out of it? (laughs) And, you know, trick-or-treat, I was like, I came here in June, right? Trick-or-treat was like only a couple months later. I have no clue what she was doing. And then the next thing I know, she was like grabbing uh, the white sheet from her bed, and cut it open. What a waste. <laughs> and then I, it's just, everything was like weird. But it only takes like a year and two years later to appreciate how much they welcome you, how much they want to show what's new here. And, you know, my friend, the, the best compliment I got was from my high school friend. The next year she said, Jenny, you look like American now. And I was like, oh, that made my day all day. I keep looking at myself. What do I do? <laughs> so it, it's really not money. It's time. It's welcoming. It's not being afraid to know why are these people here. For me, when I came here, I didn't know any word of English. And as soon as I get to know somebody really good, it's almost like, let me tell you what happened to me. It's that feeling, and I felt like I had it from uh, my friend in Nebraska. One of my girlfriends, she's still on Facebook with me right now. She gave me, on my second birthday, she gave me a book 
The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank. The one she gave me was must have been for a young reader. With a bigger print, not so thick, and I would be reading it from page to page with the dictionary uh, with me. And sometimes I don't, I find a word that I don't understand. I go to the dictionary and I didn't understand the description in dictionary. But the point was, after I had that book, the thought of, for me to write shorthand detention was, came to me even before I left the country. Because I felt like, for what we go through, I wanted to make sure my future children know what happened to us. When I came here, that hope to publish a book was gone because the language was different. I didn't think that I could even write a book. The best hope for me was taking notes so that my children might publish it later on. But the diary of a young girl makes me feel that I should keep that promise to myself. You know, maybe not complete the book, but keep taking notes so nobody forget about it. And also make me feel very frustrated and angry. I thought the Cambodian genocide was the first one. But to come and learn about the Holocaust, it's made me angry at the grown-up, at the government. Why the world keep writing story like this? They should stop. Storing like this should not happen again. And here I am, the grown-up. You know, I, I wanted to continue sharing the Cambodian genocide. I felt that if people are aware of it, they can help. But if they don't know, then the history might repeat itself again. Thanks, Jenny. It's great that you found Lincoln, Nebraska so welcoming. It's true that even small acts of kindness can make a person feel that they can be an integral part of a new community and that they can succeed. But did you experience any hardships in adjusting to life in the United States? Before we came here, the Cambodian genocide really put us on the bottom of anything. The fact that we are away from it was like we're in heaven. For me, personally, nothing could go wrong, you know, consider where I came from. But even though I appreciate what I had, some of the things that was really hard for us was a different culture, you know, a different culture of what my mom expected from me. And what my friend expected from me are completely different, like 180 degree opposite direction. And I remember having a tough time trying to being a good girl in my mom's eyes and also being adapted and fit in the new culture that I was in. So that was one of the hardest ones for me. Anything else, I, I kind of remind myself that you know, one step at a time. I may not get to where I want, but one step at a time. You know, I keep reminding myself that I survived the Cambodian genocide. I can do anything. <laughs> it does help. And beside that, there's like a motivation of my mom. Before she, the communists took over, she had maids that lived with her. And um, came here, she was a janitor. And to me, it was okay for me to work. But every time we go to visit friends that welcome us to take us to dinner with them, and I saw the family, you know, a mom and a dad and their sibling living in comfortable home, I always think about how nice they are, but how sad for my mom when I look at her. And so she's the one of the motivation for me to work hard so that I can at least help her from doing things that... Not that it's bad to be a janitor, but less 
heavy emotional effect on her because of what she'd been through. Also, there's a lot of things that motivated me to work hard was when I graduated from high school and got that two scholarship to go to college, the scholarship was not a full scholarship because my grade wasn't that good you know, compared to other students that received full scholarship. But what they did to me was give me a lot of hope, give me a lot of, well, they think I can do it, so I don't want to let them down. I think it was like $500 from a church in Nebraska, First Plymouth, and then I think it was a little bit, maybe like $1,500 from Al's Club. And I'll never forget that. Not only that I receive it and motivate me, but you should have seen the, the look on my mom's face. <laughs> so it means a lot. Those little things help a lot. To answer your question, the struggle is more about culture because of what we've been through. It was really hard. So it seems that your mother may have had a harder time adjusting to the United States. Can you describe her experience? Her difficulty was about being lonely because there aren't many Cambodians in Lincoln, Nebraska at the time. It was just our family and that's it. So not being able to even tell people how you feel. You know, many times I see her sit there and look into space. And I'm like, Mom, you're here. You know, you're safe. You're under a nice apartment, which is actually was a small, dingy apartment. But it's warm. You don't have to be outside in the element. You're not sleeping in the dirt anymore and things like that. Yet she felt so sad, so missing out everything because everything's so different. At the time, there was no social program to help us with mental health. It was better for her when she got a new job, and that was cleaning the hospital. She got to meet other family, other friends that work, and it made things go easier for her. So I think that new job helps a lot. And then the language, when she get more familiar with the language, and she learned to love football, believe it or not. <laughs> What kind of services do you think would have been helpful for you, your mother, and your other family members to handle and heal from the trauma of the Cambodian genocide? It's hard to say, but I think that what I, I found what's helped me at the time, that some that happened, is that event, event that happened, and they invite somebody who, who had gone through a similar experience that we had. You know, I, I remember one time we had like an international fair in Lincoln, it was one of the gentlemen came over and he shared about his experience from Africa to uh, Lincoln. And I don't remember all the detail, but he was Dr. So-and-so. And as a young refugee, I was like, wow, he can do it. And you know, it just, uh, to me, it helps me that way. It's mo- so many things that motivated us. And I think that something that I want to instill into the young refugee and immigrant that came to this country. Look at things that motivate you. Don't look at things that pull you down. I felt that sometimes looking for a job is really, when you push them too much, it's really not good. I mean, it should be natural because when we came from a different culture, I remember well, it might be the process that didn't feel good. I had helped some Cambodian because my English is a little bit better at the time to help him look for a job. And they placed him next to the phone and I called the potential employer 
and then put this person, potential employee, to talk to the new refugee, and he was struggling. But that process of getting them involved, it shouldn't be pushed. It's really hard. It's intimidating. The word is intimidating. It's not that they're lazy. It's intimidating. You're in a new culture. But once they get in, they're so happy. So we need to have balance between finding people a job but not pushing them and support them, you know, support them. What would you do if that family was, that coming into this country is your niece or nephew or your sister? You need to take care of that intimidation. Talking about intimidation and fear was one of the reasons I got stuck in Cambodia during the Paw Paw because my father was a very successful businessman and he actually moved us closer to the border between Thailand and Cambodia. But he did not make that last move because of fear of intimidation and different culture, different way of life. I think when the refugee decide to come to this country, they give up a lot. To them, there's no choice of going back. This is the new country. Being here, uh, welcome them, is only help for both parties. How would you encourage refugee families and youth to reach out for support? When I look back at my experience and things that would help us, as a young adult, where were you at? Maybe you're in high school, maybe you're in uh, training school. You have to get involved in that community. You know, maybe you should belong to a club. Maybe you should be participating in the track team. However it is, the better you get involved, the quicker you adapt and embrace the culture. That doesn't mean that you give up your culture that you, you came out with. And I also think that for parents, especially parents for a young adult, they have to trust that whatever they taught them many years ago, it's with them. There's also need to be time for both parties. In the past, the normal way is that you teach your children what's good, right? But as a refugee, your children might be teaching you because of the new culture. You know, trust your gut. You now travel around the country to share your story. Recently, you spoke at an event hosted by the Refugees, Immigrants, and Mental Health Working Group of the NGO Committee on Mental Health. And you often speak with students, including refugee youth. What do you hope to achieve by telling others about your experiences? I really hope my story will motivate and encourage young refugee and immigrant to do the best they can. Disregard of um, the new system they're in, maybe the language challenges. They should try it, you know, one day at a time. And maybe this today is not good, but the next day just keep going. One day at a time, never give up the dream just because you're in the new culture and new language. And the other thing I'm hoping for is continue to share what happened during the Cambodian genocide so that people will know and things like that will never happen again. That's my hope. And how have refugee youth in particular responded to your story? I have a good response from them and I encourage them to contact me because I'm here for them. You know, I read every thank you note that they gave me. Some of them actually affected me. I think more than I affected them because when I look at them, especially the middle school students, I see myself in them when it happened. It's like reliving and hoping that they never have to experience anything like that. They probably won't because of the current situation. But if we don't be careful, their future children might. And I'm hoping that my story will make them aware of what happened. And a lot of times they ask such a deep question. 
It's like, how can we make sure things like that won't happen again? I'm like, oh, that's exactly why I'm here, Ali. <laughs> but the, as an engineer, I actually thinking, you know, I can tell them that you could love and respect other and be open. But what does that really mean? You know, in everyday life, what what can they do today when they leave our talk, our, our meeting, our time together? What can they do in that day? This is what I told them a lot. Today, when you leave our time together, can you go through the day today and tomorrow without saying the word they? Because as soon as you say they, you're thinking that they better than you or they not as good as you. We are human. We just should mean a lot to us more than the different things that we do. Are there any recommendations you would offer to communities to help better welcome and work with newcomers to integrate into their new lives in the United States? Every day that you do, because we live such a comfortable world, we take for granted. It's like, oh, it's not much. But when you think about the next step that you do, can an, an immigrant and a refugee do that? And if they can't, think about it. If they can't, if you can reach out and say, you know, let me do this. Let me help you. I'll take your kid to McDonald's. Those are the things that I find it's very helpful, and it will last a lifetime. The people that help me with these tiny things, well, they may appear tiny things, but it just touch us because it's their hearts that show us that we are welcome. And when you're welcome, it means a lot. And in the opposite way, it will destroy you when you feel like you're not welcome. Where were you at? Do you have particular recommendations for how lawmakers should address migrant and refugee needs? To me personally, I felt like what happened in our current situation is like I'm living in a house where my parent doesn't get along, and it makes us weak. I don't really know the detail how they should fix it, but I really wish that they work together, and that would just make us stronger. Because we live in the same house, and you guys not getting along, it's destroying us. And for us, we need to taking care of the people in the country. How will they get here? Shouldn't matter. Because if we don't, we don't take care of people in the country that they are here, we're going to create more animosity, and it's not a safe space for anybody. What would you like people to understand about being displaced and being resettled in a new country? I think people need to understand that. When a refugee or immigrant, especially refugee, came to this country, this is a new hope. We don't have a choice to go back, and maybe people understand that already. And think about when we come here, uh, we start our life over again. We left behind so many loved ones, and for many time, when people are here, it's not about them. It's about the little one. So if you can help them by helping their little one. It means a lot, right? Because many times people, if it was just for them, they would rather live where they at and endure the suffering. But it's for the future of their children, so we need to be mindful about that. Thank you so much, Chani, for speaking with me. It's been an honor to hear your story. Is there anything else you would like to add? Thank you,、uh, thank you for the opportunity for me to share my story, and I really hope that my story will help immigrant. And refugee that came to this country to do the best they can. For more information on Chani Chi Lauks, visit her at chanichilauks.com. Her memoir, Short Hair Detention, is available for purchase on Amazon. 
CMS On Air's theme music is provided by Danny Duberstein and The Music Case. Special thanks to Amy Chen for help with the production of this episode. To get more information on CMS's research, publications, and events, visit us at cmsny.org.